Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of March 30th, 2020. On the show today, what's going on in the parks? And in our main segment, Jim tells us about the time Disney wanted to change Carousel of Progress and move it to China. Let's get started by bringing in the man who points out that Cinderella never wanted a prince. She wanted a pretty dress and a night off. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? At the same time, comfortable footwear. If I were writing that story, fuzzy slippers. <laughs> exactly. Also, I got to say, what kind of an out-of-shape bozo is the prince that he can't keep up with a girl who's running in glass shoes? <laughs> the dude needs some cardio work, right? Well, you know, you know, there's always those stories about the, the Russian royal family, you know, touch too much inbreeding. <laughs> All right, Jim, let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers, Chris J, Kelly H, and Matthew S, and longtime subscribers, Connor C, Susan2200, and Chris from the University of Georgia. Jim, these folks are responsible for making sure the animals at Kilimanjaro Safaris keep to their normal routines while the parks are closed. And that's not just feeding them, exercising them, and regular medical care, Jim. To give the animals what they're used to, Kelly is driving one of the safari trucks through the savannah while Chris, Chris, Matthew, Connor, and Susan all hang out the sides and say things like, can I ride that? Here, kitty, kitty. And of course, moo. <laughs> true story, Jim. True story. Well, speaking of true stories, have you seen what Animal Kingdom has been doing to keep us all engaged during the coronavirus-related closure? Oh, the wildlife updates? Yeah. Just in the past week, there has been a baby zebra born at the park. Likewise, yep. a baby porcupine, which, uh, by the way, you can actually pet. You just have to pet in the right direction. <laughs> Carefully. <laughs> Carefully. <laughs> That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've seen the uh, I've seen the updates. It's good that they're, uh, they're putting them out. Yeah, no, I agree. Speaking of uh, news, Jim, let's uh, do the news. Jim, a quick update on the park closures. Uh, Universal says they're closed now through April 19th. Disney still uh, says April 1st, and we're recording this at 11 a.m. on the 26th. Mm -hmm. So Disney still says April 1st. However, Orange County and Osceola County, uh, which uh, Disney World is is in, have stay-at-home orders through April 9th. So I don't think April 1 is going to happen for Disney. Also, California's still doing shelter-in-place. So I don't think Disneyland is going to open on April 1 either. Expect an announcement there sometime in the next couple of days if it hasn't already happened. Also, uh, Four Seasons Resort in Walt Disney World is closed. Swan and the Dolphins uh, also closed through April 5th. But again, nothing in the counties are opening through April 9th. So that's the minimum there. Okay. Something else worth pointing out is the Hilton Buena Vista Palace, which right. supposedly closed through the end of April. Oh, I, didn't, I hadn't seen that one. Yeah. I think that's the problem right now is if you're taking temperature of the room, there, there's so many different numbers out there. And... If we go by what President Trump says, that he would like to have certain segments of the economy up and running again by by Easter, and that's April 12th. I keep looking at the state of Massachusetts now wants schools closed through the middle of April, and those are huge feeder markets for Walt Disney World. Yeah. And speaking of feeder markets, I mean, if you look at New York, right, New York, New Jersey are around 6% of all visitors going to Orlando. So probably about the same number for Walt Disney World. New Jersey's already said they're a little bit behind New York in terms of where they are in the, the curve. But New York isn't expected to peak until mid to late April in the city because New York is also relatively crowded. The virus spreads faster. So my guess is like rural parts of the country, 
some of which are still not under stay-at-home orders, might peak later. Mm-hmm. So we're not going to see probably a peak until May 1. Yeah. And then don't forget, that that's the peak, mm-hmm. right? We still need time for everything to drop mm-hmm. to a level that the healthcare system can treat along with everything else they normally treat. That's going to take some time, right? My sense is, too, schools are going to be out for the remainder of the year. From a practical perspective, that means that there are childcare logistics to work through, not only for you know for the people who are going to Walt Disney World, but uh, or to the Disney parks, but also the people who work in the parks. Like you can't say come back to work now without having to if your if your kids are out of school. Let's say let's say Disney said okay we're going to reopen May one. Their employees still have to figure out childcare situations if the schools are out until June. Oh no doubt. There's a lot there's a lot to do there. Yeah. So my sense is April one's a no go. I would be surprised if it's if it's earlier than May one. I'm sure you've gotten messages like I have from the folks on on the golf side of the Walt Disney World Resort. Yes, everything else is shut down, but we're open because, again, if you want to talk about social distancing, you're on that hole, I'm on this hole. (laughs) I think, Jim, the way that I play golf, you could have multiple people with me on the same hole because I'll be in the woods (laughs) somewhere looking for the ball. (laughs) We could be on the same hole. We could be hundreds of yards apart. (laughs) There's there's almost no chance of me being where any other golfer is going to be. If I'm playing, I, on the other hand, you know, I never make it past the little windmill. (laughs) That's awesome. Uh, Folks, don't forget, uh, Touring Plans is hosting a virtual movie night every Friday night at 8 p.m. Eastern, where the movie is related to a Disney or Universal theme park ride. Log on to the chat feature at touringplans.com or on Twitter. Use the hashtag liner movie night and we'll make stupid comments about the movie as it plays. Last week's movie was The Haunted Mansion. And this week, uh, in fact, I think today, Monday, we'll be voting on the film to show this week. So follow uh, Touring Plans on Twitter to vote for this week's film. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Jim is going to tell us the story of how Disney wanted to move Carousel of Progress to California and change the ride. We'll be right back. Was that a, was that a dry cough, Laurel? Okay, good. Thanks. Just saying, baby, I love you, but... Go live in the other room. <laughs> All right, folks, we're back. All right, Jim, you came up with this. Uh, you came up with this story, or you found you found the documents for this story, and it was a proposal by Disney to move Carousel of Progress from Walt Disney World back to California and change it. Right? Yeah, and thanks to the folks who who run the Disney Docs website, very dynamic. To understand the Carousel of Progress situation, we really have to go back to October 1st, 1978. We got Card Walker, the then president and CEO of Walt Disney Productions. He reveals that the, you know, the company's plans for Epcot Center, a theme park inspired by Walt's philosophies. Not an experimental prototype city tomorrow, which Walt described as the most exciting, by far the most important part of our Florida project, the heart of everything we're doing at Walt Disney World, but... A community of ideas, a public forum of information transfer about emerging technologies and prototype systems and promising new concepts. That puts me on the plane to Orlando. (laughs) Wow. Sounds like a a riveting documentary you got there, Card. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. We jump ahead a year in 1979. They do the groundbreaking at the Epcot site. Card's there along with Robert Graham, the then governor of of Florida. Bob Graham was really... Was really the governor in 1979? Yep. Bob Graham? Yep. Wow. Oh, okay. And right. he also had Claude Kirk there, Ruben Askew, and Hayden Burns, uh, the gentleman who had actually had sat alongside of Walt when they did that press conference back in 64, 65. 
card, it's after they finish turning the ceremonial shovels, talks about how this new theme park, this, this community of ideas, uh, is going to cost $400 million. For the veteran executives of Walt Disney World, that kind of chill ran up their spine because they remembered how back when Walt was initially talking about the Vacation Kingdom, it was only co- going to cost $100 million. And of course, by the time the park opened up, that price had quadrupled to $400 million. So there was a fear among Walt Disney production execs that that was the exact same thing was going to happen with Epcot. Right. And it did, sort of. But instead of costing quadruple what it originally estimated to build, it only cost triple, $1.2 billion. And that was in, again, $1980, right? Uh, $1982. Yeah. Yes. But Marty Scalar, the then vice president of concept and planning at WED, and the guy who had written her on a lot of the creative development had a ready answer for these nervous Disney executives. And it basically was like, don't worry, we'll get some of the money back by replicating Epcot attractions out at Disneyland. They really did this. Remember, Epcot opens October 1st, 1982. By June of 1984, the Magic Journeys movie, that 3D film that was the opening day attraction at the Imagination Pavilion, they're showing that at night at Disneyland. Ooh. Now, mind you, it's an outdoor theater. It's the 1,100-seat space stage. Where was this? What they eventually did is they enclosed that space. It became the Magic Eye Theater where Captain... Oh, it was where they did Captain EO. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, it was, okay, it was enclosed. They okay. shut space stage down in uh, late 85 with the idea that Captain EO is going to be ready to show in the spring of 86. But then they have production issues of that. So when the theater's finally ready to open, they actually throw Magic Journeys back into this theater. And it plays there through the summer of 86, only to be finally replaced by Captain EO in September of, of that year. Oh, okay. The next thing from Epcot that shows up at Disneyland is the Wonders of China, the Circle Vision film. I remember that. That was, that was out of place in that park. Most of this stuff was out of place in that park. But you have to understand this was... We are making money. Look at us making money off of these things that we spent money for Epcot. But to try to sort of adjust or to deal with the fact that, you know, know, the ones of China really didn't belong in Tomorrowland, it would only run at Disneyland Park in the morning. In the afternoon, they'd then switch over to another Circle Vision film, uh, American Journeys. Okay. Then when you couldn't take whole shows to the West Coast, you could take chunks. Take, for example, what happened with the revised version of Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln. That opens in time for President's Day 1985, which was Monday, February 18th. Tony Baxter, who was then the chief designer of Disneyland, and Rick Rothschild, who was a show director for what at this time, they were assigned to take this show from the 64-65 New York World's Fair and give it a fresh contemporary look. And one of the ways they did that is by borrowing, I mean, literally lifting the whole Two Brothers Civil War scene out of the American Adventure and just dropping it into Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln. All right, that makes sense. Yeah, and it just, in the weird sort of way, it did sort of take the enormous scale of loss from the American Civil War and make it relatable. I mean, you saw one family deal with this issue. Yeah, it's relatable. uh, Not to to state the obvious, Jim, it's kind of a downer of a a segment. (laughs) <laughs> and you know what I'm saying, there, right? It's the Civil War. There's nothing pleasant about it. No, 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 no. That's it exactly. It it's taking a relatively a relatively serious topic and making it worse. I don't know if the worse is the right word, but you know what I mean, right? No doubt. But face it, nobody walked out of great moments with Mr. Lincoln previously humming the theme song. <laughs> 
Though, so, so, interestingly enough, after the 85 Two update, brothers. they did. Because what they did is they took the finale of the show and put Golden Dreams from American Adventure. Oh, okay, okay. That part makes sense. That's, okay, at least you end on a high note. Okay, fair yeah, enough. Yeah, and they even went so far as to, you know how they do that dramatic sunset behind the, the Capitol building. In this new version of it, a golden eagle momentarily appears over the building. Oh, okay. So, so again, you're now in this space where it's okay. It's okay to take chunks of shows. And so sure. Carousel of Progress, we know it as a show from the 64, 65 World's Fair. But realistically, it started as something that was proposed for Disneyland in 58, a, a walkthrough show called Harness the Lightning. General Electric executives weren't entirely enthusiastic about it at Disneyland, but jump ahead three years when they're desperately casting about for a show to do out on Flushing Meadow. And Walt goes, hey, you know that thing? We've come up with a different bend of the show. It's no longer a walkthrough show. It's a theater go-round show where you know, the theater rotates and takes you from scene to scene. And GE's like, okay, we can get behind that. That opens up April of 64, runs the summer, closes down for the winter, reopens in spring of 65, and ends its run October of 65 after the two-year run of the fair. A huge hit line. 72 million people see Carousel Progress during its first year in operation at the World's Fair. To put that in perspective, 9.2 million went to an American Baseball League game in all of 64. So, I mean, they really pumped people through that building. But here's the interesting thing. Of the 1.5 million, and this is this just cracks me up. That's what that show cost back then. $1.5 million in what year? This is 1964. General Electric pays Disney $1.5 million to build the pavilion. 1.5. 1.5. All right. But they put 850000 of that in escrow with the express purpose that if GE agrees – to transfer that that show to Disneyland Park when the fair ends in September of 65, that money would then be applied to the cost of building a new show building for the 32 okay. animatronic figures, you know, that were housed. So $1.5 million in today's dollars is about $13.5 million. Mm-hmm. Do you think Disney could build that right for $13.5 million today? I don't think Billy could build a lobby. <laughs> Oh, we only got one turn sale done. Damn. (laughs) I was going to say, uh, uh, that seems like a good deal for GE for what they got out of this. Okay, go ahead. Oh, no, no, no doubt. But but here's the thing. In fact, you can go over to Disney Docs right now. They've got the pitch book that Walt prepared for GE executives to sell them on the idea of moving Carousel of Progress to Anaheim. Okay. It's a fascinating sales pitch, Lynn. I pulled a, a couple of key paragraphs from it. A Disney Pavilion blending family entertainment with straight product sell would be a significant, powerful uh, addition to GE's consumer sales efforts. By the way, they, you know they were under a gun to make this decision by August first of '65. Okay. So, first three acts of the show would remain as they were in New York, showing in sequence pre-electric home, early electric home, and then the advances that so improved life in the early '40s. The last act, on the other hand, would be entirely flexible. And I love this particularly chunk of phrase, so that General Electric products of today and tomorrow could be brought up to date year to year. There is an allowance in the budget to accomplish this. There's a line item that says toasters. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, again, uh, GE's under the gun to make a decision by August of 65. 
The plan was to begin erecting the building fall of 66, have it open in spring of 67. Target opening uh, April 1st of 67. Unfortunately, Walt's death in December of 66 threw off the schedule by by three years. Three years or three months? Uh, Excuse me, three months. My mistake. Okay. Okay. Because of the proposed layout of Disneyland's version of the Carousel of Progress uh, building, there was going to be no space inside of the structure for a VIP lounge, which is traditionally what, you know, a corporate sponsor wants. But Walt goes, don't worry about it. We're in the process of building it. And here's the quote, Len. A special second floor private deluxe lounge is being incorporated into our plans for New Orleans Square. I've heard of this. Yes, it's going to open in the summer of 66. The lounge will be available to GE on a reservation basis and will be adaptable for meetings, luncheons, dinners, and other guest services. It will be, in effect, a private club type of operation located on the second floor of New Orleans Square with a sweeping view of Frontierland and Rivers of America. So <laughs> wait, so is this is this the earliest pitch for Club 33? Yes, 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 yes. Wow. And this is it uh, this is in the document at uh, disneydocs.net. Yeah, yeah. Wow. That's why you got to read down into these things. There's this wonderful little tidbit spinning. Anyway, original contract was supposed to run 67 to 72 with an option for a second five-year run in the Disneyland Park. That didn't happen. By 1972, General Electric felt that the Carousel of Progress was played out on the West Coast. Disney, hoping to keep the show alive, proposed moving it to Florida, where it could then entertain folks, you know, on the East Coast and perhaps convince them to buy washers and dryers. Okay. G executives agree, but uh, there are also kinds of pains in the butt because they insist on a brand new theme songs, which is why Great Big Beautiful Tomorrow got dropped for uh, Now is the Best Time, I want to say. Yeah, Now is the Time. Yeah. By the way, both songs are written by the Sherman Brothers. So Sherman Brothers, right. Is it the same tune? It's the same tune, different lyrics, right? There's a great big... No, Now is the Time. No, they're different songs. They're different songs. Yeah. I remember talking with uh, Alan Menken about when he wrote the new song that they put into the Sinbad attraction for Tokyo and turned it into Sinbad Storybook Voyage. And basically said, I never understood what geniuses the Sherman brothers were until I had to write a song for an attraction. And you're suddenly limited by how much time it takes the boat to go by, how much runtime the entire attraction has. The acoustics of the room. It's it could, suddenly I think Ra- Richard and Robert are geniuses. So, oh yeah. When you're writing for an attraction that has a corporate sponsor, it's like, <laughs> don't forget to buy a toaster. That's actually one of the their background music is. It's actually called Songs for Toasters, right? <laughs> songs <laughs> that, for selling toasters. That it in, is. Um, that it is. No, this is true. It, Hold on, we're gonna we're gonna pause here for a second. So I'm gonna look this up. Songs for selling. It's called Music to Sell Toasters uh, too. That's, I think, the, something the Sherman <laughs> wrote for 64. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. <laughs> I failed chemistry, Jim, but somehow I retained that one no, piece of no, knowledge I, right I, there about the, the title of some obscure Trust me, no math, no science, but I can tell you that the West Coast version of, of you know, Carousel of Progress closed in September of 73. Uh, Brain yeah, cells exactly. misappropriate. All right. Speaking of which, East Coast version of the attraction opens the Magic Kingdom January 75. Just a five-year contract, which was supposed to end in 1980. But then in 79, 
General Electric agrees to come on board Epcot Center as the sponsor of Century 3, which the idea was that America had just finished celebrating the bicentennial. So Century 3 was going to be all of the wonderful things we accomplish as a country between 1976 and 2076. Oh, okay. But then at some point, this got changed into Future Probe. That name got dropped because the GE people were like, that sounds kind of medical. Also, they were still trying to find a pharmaceutical company to sponsor the, the Wonders of Life Pavilion. So Future World Pavilion, the GE uh, eventually agrees to sponsor, winds up, you know, again, it's Horizons. It opens October 1st of 83 and is part of their 79 negotiation to get General Electric to sponsor a Future World Pavilion. Disney basically offers to extend the East Coast version of Carousel Progress for another five years in the Magic Kingdom okay. for basically free. You'll have visual representation in, in both of our theme parks in Florida You know that, that will translate into lots of good consumer vibes. And you'd think that it'd make the GE executives happy, but it didn't. They were days away from breaking ground on Horizons when GE announced it cost too much. You have to cut $10 million out of the budget. I remember Horizons being a giant show building. Yeah, that was huge, wasn't it? Yeah, with huge spaces. But because of this $10 million cut, 35% of the scenes that were initially planned for Horizon were dropped. Oh, my God. So it would have been a third bigger. Yeah. It's just, and I can't imagine, given you know things like that IMAX screen in the middle of this thing. Yeah, it's huge. What would you put it in? If, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, that's it exactly. You know, just, oh, I don't know. Maybe instead of you know feeding the seal, they would have been feeding a killer whale in the, the, the Andrew C. Hobbit. <laughs> He's a giant orca. Yeah. There we go. Every, everyone's, uh, every room in every house gets a, a third bigger. There you go. March of 1985. General Electric's sponsorship agreement for Carousel of Progress at the Magic Kingdom runs out, and Disney promptly moves all GE references from this attraction, but they hope someday, somehow, they're going to get, uh, be able to cut a new deal with General Electric, you know, get them up back on board as the corporate sponsor. Now, September of 73, Carousel of Progress closes in California. June of 1974, that show's replacement, America Sings, opens in Tomorrowland, and again, you know, sort of like you were saying earlier, bad fit for that part of the park. But, yeah. you know, what are you going to do? They put it in there for the bicentennial. Yeah, Burl Lives matches everything. We all know that. But it's just, <laughs> it's a strange part of the park. Yeah. Uh, January of 1987, Star Tours opens at Disneyland Park. Costs $32 million to build, Len. One of the ways they kept the cost down was they actually went over to America Sings. And, you know, there were these quartets of singing geese in every scene. And what they did is they plucked one audio animatronic goose out of each of these quartets. So they then became a trio. <laughs> sure. But, and they then became the G2 repair droids that you see silt. Oh, I was going to say, where are they, where are they doing with the geese if they become repair droids? All yeah, right, they just on. literally stripped the feathers off of them and got them down to the, their original bodies. And they look just like something out of Star, Star Wars. That's fantastic. You can still find these online, like folks who took videos of America Sings during its last year of operation or thereabouts. But you you have these now trios of, of geese singing, but they would periodically turn to and reference and interact with the now fourth missing goose. So a little weird. <laughs> hey, Vinny. Oh, no, Vinny. Okay. Anyway, April of 88, America Sings closes at Disneyland Park. It's closed because the stealing the geese out of America Sings, who then put them in Star Tours, 
is perceived as such a smart move that now, as they're getting ready to build Splash Mountain on the other side of the park, which right. is projected to cost $75 million? In $1988, yeah. so probably double that now. So, you know, the notion is, well, hell, let's just use all of these wonderful Mark Davis-designed animatronic figures. Let's move them over from America Sings and put them along the trough of, you know, Splash Mountain. And then we can just spend money on a couple of hero figures of Br'er Fox, Br'er Bear, and, of course, Br'er Rabbit. April of 88, the Tomorrowland Theater Girl Round Building is now empty. This show space is up for grabs. So the guys at Imagineering get the idea of we're now comfortable with taking animatronic figures and moving them around the country, dropping them into different show buildings. That's the thing. What if we were to take the Carousel of Progress show that's in Florida, move it back to California, but we update it? What we do is we take specific elements of Horizons, a show that, that GE is sponsoring, Okay. What if we were to do that? You know, sort of create this hybrid show that has the best of the classic attraction from the 64, 65 World's Fair, along with this chunk of, of Epcot. First three scenes of the show, Len, exactly the same as we've okay. seen previously. The difference is that the script would have been tweaked slightly with the concept of people dreaming of the future and how technological advances will make our life easier in the future. The fourth scene of the show, where the family's gathered for, for Christmas and Dad is burning the turkey. Yeah, it's a New Year's Eve, right? Yeah, Christmas, New Year's Eve. Yeah, yeah. well, it was going to be staged in a Disney vacation villa. <laughs> it's a DVC? Oh. Yeah, I mean, it's going to just, hey, it's 1990. Synergy, Jim. You know, we're here in the vacation villa, and this this wonderful? And, and with the most up-to-date GE appliances in the thing, again, the original Disneyland version of the show had a fifth show scene because when you got to the fifth show scene, that's when you got on an escalator and went up right. to the top of the building and basically the saw products. This is where you saw the model of Progress City. That was the whole point of the second story of the building, which you, you could see the city of the future. You could see the model of quote unquote Epcot the city. All right. Whereas in in this thing, in scene five, when the lights came up, you were going to be looking at the family, only they were now in the undersea habitat from Horizons. Oh, so they're going to recreate the um, live-in communities. Okay, got yeah, it. Yeah, and the notion there was that, you know, you were seeing the, the young daughter from the Christmas scene, from the vacation villa scene you'd seen previously, and here she is some 20 years later working in the undersea habitat. Oh, okay. But she then talks about what the rest of her family is doing now. And this is when you get on the escalator, you go upstairs, and now in the second floor of Disneyland's Carousel of Progress building, you have recreations, full-size recreations of the other scenes from Horizons, the one you chose at the end, the space setting, oh. the desert setting, and the urban setting. And there's GE products in each of these things. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. But you're not traveling past them, Len. You can walk around through them. Ooh. So, you know, you can get pictures taken and, you know, I mean, there's just... This is like 30 years too early because if Instagram was around back then, yeah. people would have been all over it. You're not wrong. But what happens is, so they take this pitch at the GE and GE flat out says, look, we're not interested in resurrecting an old show. What else you got? You got anything new? And well, yeah, it's 1988 and they do have something new, uh, which is why GE agrees to begin sponsoring Illuminations. Oh, okay. Which it then stays on board as the sponsor of all the way through 1998. 
it's a very pragmatic approach. You know, I mean, GE wants to think of itself as a forward-thinking company. And it's like, look, the 64 show was fun and Horizons was nice, but we want something new. And more to the point, when you think about the tens of thousands of people who, you know, stand around World Showcase Lagoon at night for, you know, those Lagoon shows, that's an awful lot of eyeballs all at once. And, you know, they go out with a smile and... GE names get got mentioned at the beginning of the show, and GE's name got mentioned at the end of the show. On the other hand, September of 93, GE ends its sponsor of the Horizons Pavilion. Same thing as what happened with Carousel. They literally ripped out all references to GE from the attraction, which, if you remember that amazing sort of fiber optic GE logo in the lobby space. Right, yeah, that was fantastic. It was, but it, you know, it was also a little weird. Once you, you saw it there... You definitely missed it when you went through that attraction again. But anyway, to, to circle back to Eliminations, have you heard anything about a corporate sponsor for Harmonious? No. It was, Siemens was the last sponsor of Illuminations, right? Mm -hmm. I haven't heard anything hmm. All right. about corporate sponsorships. There's got to be one, right? It stands to reason. I mean, uh, that's yeah. an awfully big get. Though, come to think of it, does, does Epcot Forever have a sponsor? <laughs> I don't know. I'd have to go back and listen to the soundtrack. If it is, it's, uh, it's not memorable. Okay. Okay. Oh, that hurts. I'll go back and listen. We'll, uh, we'll find it for next year. That's the story of how, you know, a Horizon slash Carousel of Progress hybrid almost went to Disneyland. But again, you can read this proposal all by yourself by going over to Disney Docs. I, and again, there's a wealth of stuff there. The, the, the wonderful resource online. That's fantastic. Good, uh, good job on that, uh, Jim. Okay. All right, folks, that's going to do it for the Disney Dish show today. Please head on over to DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes. We've got a new episode out for Bandcamp subscribers on the Grand Canyon Diorama at Disneyland. And you can find more of Jim at JimHillMedia.com and more of me, Lantesta, at TouringPlans.com. On next week's show, we'll go over a newly discovered script for an unbuilt Epcot attraction about inventions. And we'll have an exclusive show for Bandcamp subscribers about the history of Epcot's Flower and Garden Festival. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who's still planning to host the wine tasting event at the Keelan Curly 10th Annual Blueberry Festival in Plant City, Florida, this weekend from 8 a.m. to 6, 6 p.m. Jim, I thought it was only my mother who drank wine at 8 a.m., but apparently not. While Aaron's doing that, please go onto iTunes and rate our show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We'll see you on the next show.